Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review. Now, for those of you who have never heard of Future in Review before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. Our next FIRE conference will be November 6th through 9th. Uh, 2023 at the Terranea Resort in Los Angeles, California. We encourage you to join us there. We have a few early bird tickets left for sale at our lowest price of the year. But once they're gone, they are gone. Um, And the other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. So if you enjoy these updates, we ask that you sign up for a free trial of the SNS Global Report using the link below this video. And I am here today with uh, SNS CEO and FIRE Chair, Mark Anderson, to talk about his global report from last week. So if you are a Global Report subscriber already, you would you would know this. But while the rest of the world was talking about Silicon Valley Bank last week, uh, Mark dropped a pretty impressive piece of research and business news about what really happened to Boeing and China's role in it in the downfall as it were of Boeing. So Mark, I wanted to just start off, can you explain a little bit about what happened in the situation and sure, and what the current status is? Yeah, um we'll take this in steps, but for those who don't know anything about the story, um, there were two uh, very unfortunate crashes, and I think we should start by saying nothing we're going to say in this podcast is in, intended in any way to um, be other than um, sorrowful for the tragedies of those two crashes. And it was very, you know, it was an impossible situation for the families. It was tragedy. So we got to say that right at the top. Um, there were two crashes that happened within a few months of each other um, in Indonesia and Ethiopia, and uh, with local airlines essentially and uh, all hands were killed. And so um, um, the result of that was that uh, China decertified the Boeing 737 MAX, which was uh, on the cusp of becoming its most best-selling airplane ever. Um, And the MAX was then decertified by other countries, including in order, I think, of those two countries, um, and then Canada, and then others followed. The FAA, normally the first to decertify, was the very last. I believe. Hmm. So uh, it was a very unusual order. And then um, Boeing, uh, that plane was grounded for about two years, a little more. And Boeing went through uh, what you can only call air, you know, aerospace hell, where they were criticized by everyone at every level of the company and, and found to be uh, negligent in a variety of ways, having to do with certification, quality control, uh, not having dual sensors, uh, an MCAS system, uh, which was um, not what it should have been and more training needed for pilots and on and on and on and on. Many, many, many things found wrong with Boeing. And then finally, the um, the uh, the airplane was again recertified. Um, the very last to recertify, essentially, out of 195 countries, number 180 was China. So basically, last. Um, okay. Now Boeing is being the airplane is being flown again worldwide. So that's the that's the publicly available version of what happened. That's Correct. what we, that's what was already available in the in the public news mind that's right that's right what did you find that was different from that well perspective of that of that narrative yeah so um as you know barry we look at patterns and there were a bunch of patterns that were broken in this and patterns that were made uh they were all disturbing so um 
as an example, China has never been the first to decertify anything in, air, in aerospace. They're not respected. Uh, a China certification would never get you allowed to fly anywhere other than in China, maybe South Asia. So, so no one was looking to China for guidance on how to fly an airplane or how mm-hmm. to build they've, they've never built one that was been certified, really. So why would anyone listen? Uh, but of course, Ethiopian Indonesia had, you know, dogs in the hunt because they were being criticized. Maybe their air carriers training was not up to snuff or something else. So they were very eager to have to have investigations not show pilot error, right? Which would be a liable problem and, right. and one of reputation risk. So um, anyhow, um, the whole thing was a little bit goofy. Um, even worse. China didn't wait for any final reports, even from those two countries. They just went ahead. Well, that's very unusual. I'd say it's unheard of. So um, why would they jump the gun so fast to do something that they're not qualified to do internationally? And they did it. So that was a pattern that was broken. Um, Patterns made include the airplane had been flown um, for a long time, many, many, many flights. I calculated maybe up to 1.3 million flights had already occurred without in mishap when these two mishaps occurred. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking into, well, were there other problems with 737s in the past? It's the best-selling airplane in the world, probably. So probably, and sure enough, you look it up, um, there were about five, let's see, 550, I think, different crashes and events, events, unquote, that the 737 has experienced over its lifetime, okay. during which about 5,700 people died. Now, in the two crashes, there were about 500. Mm-hmm. 5,000 people, 700 people died already through 737 crashes, no decertification. You know, generally what happens is a, a group will come in from the NTSB or somewhere and do the investigation, put all the parts together, figure out what happened, and improve the airplane. They don't need to decertify it. They figure out what happened and and make it better. Why decertify? Again, the FAA was the last to do that. China was the first. So the more you look at this, the worse it gets. And then the kind of the nail in the coffin for me after years of watching all this unravel was, or or roll on, was was that finally the FAA did release, the NTSB did release uh, an official report in which they strongly criticized the prior reports. This is unusual. And they did it. The prior, on, the prior reports from the NTSB or the prior no, reports? No, the from... NTSB criticized prior mm-hmm. reports from the Ethiopian and Indonesian governments. Okay. So the Indian and the Ethiopian governments did their own investigation. They, they released reports. They did. Before they released those reports, China had already decertified the plane. Correct. But those reports essentially found that what? What did those initial reports find? No pilot error. Okay. And, and um, if you're into the protocol of all this, the legal part of what matters is the um, NTSB was given a chance to comment bef- about a year before the reports were released officially, and they did comment. And there's a requirement, I think it's called Section 13, where the originating country, investigating country, Ethiopia or Indonesia, must report the other comments from the NTSB in the United States or other countries. And they didn't. That's illegal. Okay, That's so in, in their initial reports, they did not include did not. outside comments. Required to, did not do it. And so so now the NTSB had to issue a second comment 
they already had put out comments criticizing the report. Now they put out a second comment criticizing the critic. You know, in other words, they were saying, "Look, you just did something illegal." Okay. You know, they didn't report what we said, but mm-hmm. now by not reporting it, you've committed a, a, a really large transgression. All that happened, and so the last report that I'm referring to now from the NTSB only came out maybe a month ago, end of January, I think. So when I saw that, I had already been thinking that there was something funny about pilot training in this story. But when they said that the fact that pilot training was critical, a critical component of the failures, it was not, it was being dumped, it was being ignored by the, the countries that, you know, that had been the where the airline carriers were originating. Um, that was bad. And then came the kind of the, the final clinker. Um, the criticism that had carried against Boeing throughout all of this was what's called the MCAS system, is computer system. And the number of sensors, they're called attack angle sensors. What attitude does a plane have in the air? Um, Which was, they only had one of these instead of two when they should have had two. Everyone knows this. However, what the uh, Ethiopians said in their report was that it it was obviously Boeing's fault because it was an electrical failure. And what the NTSB said was, no, there was physical damage to that sensor it must have been a bird strike or something like that that destroyed the sensor. Now, if that were true, that wouldn't actually be Boeing's fault. So, so that was in the Ethiopia example, or or the Ethiopians said it was a it was a electrical failure. Okay, they were ignoring the fact that they'd already been told by the NTSB that it was a physically damaged sensor, probably a bird strike. So picture Scully over New York Harbor when a bird strike hits his, his jet engine and he has to crash land. That's not Boeing's fault. That's the bird's fault. Right. So same thing here. Interesting. That was in one case. What about the other case? I don't know. I haven't been able to find out yet. But in any, in any case, you then are kind of pushed back to where the NTSB was going, which is not that Boeing was faultless. Nobody said that. But that the a prime contributor was a lack of pilot skills, perhaps pilot knowledge in terms of this system, the new system, mm-hmm. pilot training. And there's another thing called um, performance under stress. Okay. Obvious. So these four areas were all areas that the NTSB found to be deficient in those crashes. And you can go a lot deeper into what was being said on on the uh, voice transponders and so forth in the black box. And I'm not going to go there, but there was a fair amount of evidence that this was a real problem. So in other words, go back again, 1.3 million or whatever the number of flights that were fine throughout the world, mostly in in, uh, China and the United States, you know, that kind of thing, Europe. And then these two kind of emerging nation flights where the um, NTSB says pilot training, big contributor, and where at least in one of them, the, the prime cause appeared to be a bird strike. So it gets worse. But but essentially, the it, there seemed to be strong pilot agreement among other pilots that if this kind of problem occurred where you're having an attitude control problem, there's a very simple thing you can do with turning off stabilizers and, and autopilot, and you just fly the airplane. And apparently, these pilots didn't know that. And the question that most pilots ask is, how could you not know that? That's something all pilots know. So the more you look at it, the more the worse it got. That it, This had nothing to do directly 
with what we were all told. So you're insinuating, you have not directly said this yet, but you're insinuating through this line of reasoning that China had some kind of motivation to try to shift the narrative around Boeing and its role in these two crashes. Correct. What is, you know, for those who maybe who are, are not from super familiar with the the plane, the world of plane business. <laughs> yeah. Like all we are. <laughs> well, uh, what is the motivate? What, what is China's motivation for doing that? How I think do they benefit? They had several, actually. Um, one of them was China uh, has been creating a new Boeing competitor, even while they've been Boeing's best customer. So um, while they're buying airplanes from Boeing and Airbus, they've been copying Boeing and Airbus, and they made a, almost an exact copy of the 737. And it's called the Comac, which is a Chinese company, the Comac uh, 919. So if you look at that, that airplane, it looks like an exact Xerox copy right. of the 737. And in fact, <clears throat> um, there are some pretty interesting pictures you can get off online where, where it shows all the IP that was stolen from everybody in America and, and Europe. Some Airbus, mostly Boeing, mostly U.S., some European, and like all the avionics, all the airplane surfaces, everything except the engines. They haven't learned how to copy the engines yet. So um, that's hard. So, so clearly a typical Chinese deal where they steal IP from everybody else. They don't make it themselves. They steal it. And then having stolen it, they, you know, they put it into their own product. And then part three, always sell it to other people at half price. Mm -hmm. Why bought your competitors who, by the way, invented all that stuff. So um, on that so, storyline. So why would they go beyond in this case? Why would they go if that's been that's been their strategy with regard to other technologies for a long time? That's and good. in fact, the like price dropping tactic has usually worked. It has very often worked. Stealing I and price dropping. To put to put other companies out of business, right? Works great. Works great. Or at least to like cut into their market massively. Yes. Why would they why would they go above and beyond this time to do oh I think, well who would ever buy a Chinese airplane? No one would ever buy a Chinese airplane. Ever. Except in China where they were forced to by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. No other country would ever buy a Chinese airplane. Unless of course you couldn't buy Boeing airplanes. Hmm. So but there's more I think because this was just the beginning with is called the trade war. You and I know it wasn't a trade war. This is an economic war that China has been fighting against the West and America for 30 years. But we kind of woke up to it finally, and then we gave it a name. And during that period of time, Boeing, as it had been for years, was our top exporter in the, in the country, particularly with regard to the trade balance with China. So if you're going to have a trade war, why not get rid of Boeing? Or at least try to. And so there were two reasons to do this. One was to advance their own airplane and sell it, mm -hmm. to others, which, by the way, they did. Yeah. The, the other was to um, harm the, the United States during a trade war, and particularly, specifically, to harm our, our largest exporter, the largest export product, which was that airplane. Hmm. So they sold a thousand units of their airplane to their, I would call them, vassal countries. Cambodia, South, you know, you know, South Asia, Vietnam, Thailand, and to all over China. While this was going on, while this 737 MAX was grounded, they sold, before it was certified, a thousand airplanes. Before it was certified? Before it was certified. Interesting. Yes. Who would buy that? 
Slaves would buy that. Who would buy an uncertified airplane? A slave state. Yes. So I consider Cambodia to be a wholly owned subsidiary now of China. And I think that Vietnam is close and probably, you know, the other South Asian countries are in there, in there somewhere. So Comac sold a thousand airplanes that were not certified. And then the certification just happened recently. Like, you know, maybe um, as the NTSB report was coming out, final certification for the C919 by China, not by anybody else. And then they were going to, you know, fly them. Except they had a problem with an airplane like within a week and they had to decertify it again. <laughs> I was just going to ask a, a logistical question, which doesn't have that much to do with this, but could you fly a, a non-certified airplane into a state that hasn't certified it? Well, no one's going to fly a non-certified airplane in their own air carriers. So you've got to, some, some clown has to certify it. And that clown would be the Chinese, you know, certification service, whatever they're called. Right. But if it was a Chinese certified plane, but it wasn't certified by anyone else, would you be allowed to fly it into the U.S. airspace? No. Okay. So no, you can fly it all over China. Right. Okay. It would be a domestic and kind of international yeah. within. Yeah. yeah. You'd fly it to Cambodia. Right. Yeah. So that's a story. And uh, it's a sad story because uh, everyone involved has a sad time, you know, except China had a great time. But um, in the families, as I've already said, that's tragic. That shouldn't have happened. But but as the NTSB pointed out in its final report, by eliminating the the comments saying that this was a pilot error, pilot skill, pilot behavior, performance under under stress, and so on, they they removed the ability of the industry to learn, right, to solve the problem. And that was the point the NTSB really made was that you're not allowed to do that. The the world needs to know. If this happens by those things in part, then you've got to tell everybody <clears throat> so that pilot training is improved. Yeah. So that's what happened. And and Boeing says they lost $20 billion. I think it's actually more. If you look at the debt that they picked up, it was more than that, I think. And and that's just Boeing itself. What about all of the people who are ancillary to that in their ecosystem as, right. a, as, a, as America's largest exporter? It's got to be two or three times that much money, at least. So um, call it 40 to $60 billion in damage to America. Well done, China. It had nothing to do with Ethiopia, and it had nothing to do with Indonesia. Except for their role in covering up what had happened. Well, if you are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, what does that mean about how you should think about Boeing in general? Um, I believe that Boeing deserved most of the criticism that they received uh, during that two or three year period. I do think that the management of Boeing has been deficient uh, for that period of time or more. Um, I'd go all the way back to Harry Stonecipher, who I didn't admire as a, um, a leader at Boeing. I think that that merger and, and making him CEO was the beginning of a down spiral for them. Uh, but having said all that, they should not have been grounded. And do you think that that means that they are more likely to do well moving forward? Where yeah. are they now? Like yeah. what do people expect from Boeing now? Well, that depends on who you ask. But um, I think part of the reason for us to publish this is to help Boeing because Boeing um, deserved criticism, but not being grounded. And they got so much heat and so much 
anger, I'm sure, from different types of people, all of whom in the media piled upon them um, unnecessarily, so to, to a large degree. Certainly, they needed to improve their quality control. They needed to listen more to their engineers and less to their, their salespeople. It's all true. Uh, so it's good, for, it's good for Boeing in the, in the long run, but um, it's so much damage to their reputation, so much reputational damage. Um, one wonders, you know, how long that will be a problem for that company and for the people who work there. A lot of people work for Boeing. So, so uh, yeah. yeah. So if nothing else, we hope that this podcast will help set the record straighter than it has been about Boeing's culpability in the situation. That's right. And how to think about Boeing as a producer of planes, as a reliable right. producer of planes. And again, we're not saying they were faultless at all. We're trying to identify exactly what they were guilty of. But having said that, there was a much simpler way to solve that problem than grounding the top selling airplane in the world for years. Yep. Well, Mark, thank you for your research and for tying all this together. Thank you, Barry. I hope that our our audience um, continues to fly on Boeing planes. Me too. I'm going to. As I'm sure they will. Yeah. Hard to avoid. That's right. That's right.